we are quickly settling into our fall rhythm, aren't we? I know that we are. And uh, for us as a church family, that means our annual fall regroup campaign. And Ryan's already told you about that. I want to tell you a little more about the background on that. So our shepherds here, our eldership, they have a healthy expectation of this church family under their care. And that is, and a desire, that is for every single one of us to be connected, actively connected to a small group, to be a part of a small group. And so we on staff have organized ourselves in a way to accommodate that and to try to make it available to you. We've worked very hard to make available to you all different kinds of groups so that it fits what works for you. They meet at different times during the week so that it might fit your schedule. We have small group trainings in case you are called to lead or facilitate a group. We just want it to be as easy for you as possible to join us in that frontline ministry to each other and to this city. We have small group resources. We have like a second to none free for you online library of resources to help you in facilitating and and participating in small groups. Totally free to all of you who are members here. And we have a pretty solid uh, physical library too, all over at Starting Point over there. And so if you're a member of this church family, for the next four weeks of regroup, we're going to keep bringing this up. And I'm inviting you and asking you in response to the call on this church family and each member of it by our shepherds, um, to, to evaluate your own situation in light of this priority, in light of the priority of uh, having a small group connection. And not just evaluate it for yourself, but also be aware of other people's situation. And perhaps be a help to them in this call upon all of us here. So, uh, in connection with that, I want to talk about some work goals that I plan on nagging you about for the next four weeks, okay? Some work goals in light of this. Not all of these are appropriate for everyone here, but something on here will be appropriate to everyone. So first, if you are currently not in a small group, then two options for you. The first one might be rather obvious. Join one. Join a small group. That's your call. For these next four weeks, make it a priority to join your group. We're trying to make that just as easy as possible for you. If you go out in the foyer right here to my right, your left, we have small group central and Ryan's told you he's got all these groups, men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, marriage group, family groups. Okay. Just specialty groups. Go over there and check it out and go shopping, go shopping and just see if the Holy Spirit isn't going to make it easier for you than you think. So if, if you're not in a group, your first option as a member here is to join one. Your second one might not be quite as obvious And it might feel a little bold, but it's not necessarily. And then start one. Start one. The perks of starting a small group is you become a frontline, very important minister to us in this church family. And we are going to pour into you. And we'll help. We do believe that God is going to send us an unusually large number of people as members here because of the calling he has on us to always have more and better small groups He's going to send us people who are supposed to lead or host a group. And so we will help you. And I'm just asking you to still your heart, and then you will know who you are. Okay? So we need more slots for more people who are looking 
to join a group, and you may be able to provide that. So that's if you're not in a small group. If you are in a small group, then relaunch is the time. I mean, regroup is the time to relaunch your small group. And I say that because the vast majority of our groups take the summer off in some form. They either are just too busy to meet, and so they just give each other a break from each other. No, I'm kidding, but you know what I mean. Some people don't do that. They meet once uh, a month through the summer just to keep that fellowship and connection. In some groups, they don't they don't stop for nothing. They just cruise right on. So uh, whoever you are, if, if you are in a small group, now's the time to kind of come back together, even if you have met for a while and all through the summer. And in unity, we're going to kind of go through a topic together. So we do have small group uh, material that we're going through that's going to connect to the sermons I'll be preaching for these four weeks. And we'd love for you to join us in that. The rest of the year, it's kind of, we, we enable you to shepherd to your group and to decide as a group what it is you would like to study. And again, we have tons of resources. So if you are in a small group, now's the time to relaunch. And whether you're relaunching or you're just continuing on, the second thing I'd ask you to do is, again, look for people who might need a small group. Like I said, we're organized corporately to try to make it as easy as possible for people who aren't connected to a group to connect. And Ryan will, I mean, it's, it's not easy all the time to connect to a group. It's just worth it. And Ryan will walk with you personally to find until you find a group that fits you. But church, it doesn't have to go through our corporate effort. If you see somebody that you might be prompted to invite to your small group, invite them. That counts, okay? We'd rather it happen kind of organically like that. So these are our work goals. These are things God will not do for us. These are things that are called for from you so that our faith goal might happen. You can't do our faith goal, and that is for every single member in this church family to be connected to a small group. But we do have some work goals. We want everyone to have a few people with whom they are known personally. If you're not here on a Sunday morning, it's not likely I'm going to necessarily notice in a big group like this, but your small group will. Your small group will. And it's unlikely with 600 people that you're going to be able to take the mask off and become more like Christ relationally with every single member of this church. But you can do it with a few. And you can allow them to do it with you. So that's why this is such an important part of what we do. Now, I'm very, exciting about our te- I very <clears throat> excuse me, I'm very excited about our teaching series for Regroup this year, and here's why. Three reasons before I tell you what we're talking about. First, because of all the Regroup themes that we've ever done, this particular subject most directly applies to whether, to, for you to have what it takes to have a working, winsome, successful small group. This is just as spot on of a subject as we could have for the regroup series. Second, it's one of the most important but under-addressed priorities of scripture for Christians concerning accomplishing the mission of God in the world through the church. See what I'm saying? I go this far with that. I would go this far. Without this quality that we're going to be studying for these four weeks, no one outside the church would ever come. No one inside the church would stay. That's how important this particular quality has become to me in these last weeks of studying it. And then finally, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Now, there are some who may be more gifted. Maybe it's more appropriate to say just more passionate, right? More devoted to it, more interested in it. But everyone can do it. 
Everyone can do some form of this, and that's good because every Christian is called to it. All right, so what is it? This is it. This big subject is called hospitality. Hospitality. And even as I say it, it kind of feels like, oh, really? It doesn't feel like this power-packed, world-changing, kingdom-bringing quality of Christ that is going to change the world. It doesn't feel like that, but I'm going to say that that is because churches, including me, I'm guilty, have, so, have not emphasized it enough. It's so under-emphasized uh, concerning hospitality that it doesn't sound like that. But most of us think of hospitality as it is in our culture. As a matter of fact, the culture's view and practice of hospitality is cut into your DNA and your expectation a lot more than the Christian version. So many of you have heard of the hospitality industry. There's a whole hospitality industry. And I looked it up. The hospitality industry is like a category of fields within the service industry. And it includes lodging, food and drink service, event planning, theme parks like Disneyland. Hospitality is one of their big priorities, you know, travel, tourism. And so it includes hotels and Airbnbs and, you know, bed and breakfasts and tourism agencies, restaurants are a part of the hospitality industry, bars, spas. Y'all know what I'm saying. And uh, it's very distinct. The hospitality industry is very distinct from Christian hospitality in that the purpose of the hospitality industry is to get a return, right? It's for money. They do the actions of love and welcome for a return. No return, no service. No love, no welcome. That's the world's version. Christian hospitality is quite weightier than that. It's got quite a bit more teeth. It's not as simple as you might at first think. It probes deep. And it's important if the church, again, if we're going to advance his mission like we are called to do. So today I want to answer two simple questions as we launch into this subject. Just to start us off, get us going for the next three weeks. One, what is Christian hospitality? And two, why is it so important? Why should we do it? All right, so what is it? Now, you'll find the priority of hospitality, it's all through Scripture. That might surprise you. I'm going to specifically use the three texts of the New Testament that use the word hospitality and call for it from Christians. And I think that will be enough for you to kind of get a feel for what a weighty and important subject this is and a good definition. Uh, But first, before we read that word in Scripture, let me tell you what that word means. I think this is kind of cool. So hospitality is the Greek word Philoxenia, as always. I have no clue if I'm saying that right. I've only seen it on a paper, okay? And so philoxenia is how it's pronounced today. And that's a combination of two Greek words that might be familiar to some of you, one more than the other. The first word is philo. So that comes from a Greek word that we translate into love, phileo. There's like eight different Greek words for love, all right? Four of them are used in Scripture. This is one that's used in Scripture. Phileo means 
friendship type of love. It's that intimate kind of friendship love, all right? So philo is the first part of hospitality. That's love. And then xenia. Xenia, you might be more familiar with this one. Xenia is the word for stranger or foreigner or alien or just any other, okay? You've heard our word xenophobia. You know, you've heard that. That's the fear of strangers. That's another Greek word, phobia. This is a fear of strangers. This then, hospitality, the word means love for strangers or foreigners or aliens or other, the separate, okay? That's strictly what this word means. Now, so no talk of hospitality is talk of Christian hospitality unless you include love and welcome to strangers into your space, to foreigners, to the aliens, to people you don't know. Now, I'll tell you, hospitality is used both in our language and in the Bible much broader than that. Hospitality has become something, and Scripture uses it as love and welcome for those you know as well. You know, Christian family or your personal family or people you do already know, they are not strangers welcoming them into your space. That can be your house, but it can be a lot of other places. For me, you come to me with blue sky, you're coming into my space, okay? So it, can, it includes your home, but it doesn't necessarily have to if you struggle with maybe bringing people to your home. It's just where you live, bringing them in. So you, you, are, not, you are not doing Christian hospitality, however, it is more than welcoming of those you don't know and strangers, but it is no less than that. In fact, a lot of Christians are super great at bringing in their friends. They hang with them all the time. They cook for them. They, when they're coming through town, they get, make the extra bed for them. That's Christian hospitality. So long as it's not being used as a smokescreen to keep from offering all of that to people you don't know that are different than you. It's not Christian if you just do that. You can't neglect that and it'd be Christian either. But it is not just that. Strictly speaking, we start with the definition of this word. It includes love for strangers. Okay, so you'll clearly see both of these highlighted in the few texts we're going to read in the New Testament. But one more issue that stems, that I want to dive into, that stems directly just from the meaning of the word. Okay, before we read that word in the text. And that is, who is a stranger? You remember after Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, the question was, well, who's my neighbor? I, I need a definition of that, so I'd be sure to obey that, right? Well, same thing. Who's my, who, is, who is a stranger? So one of the talks I got to listen to, Julie Eldridge, who's passionate, passionate about this subject, by the way, she had a sermon from Tim Keller that she forwarded to Kyle, who forwarded it to me, and he said something, he, he answered that question in a way I wanted to reflect it to you. He said, Here, here's three groups that qualify as strangers. First, other Christians. Now, first, you might be going, but you just said that, y-, and Tim Keller says it like this. He goes, are you kidding me? There are tons of strange Christians. There are tons of them, you know? But that's not really what we're talking about necessarily, but we're talking about people that are other Christians that you don't know. They're still strangers to you. That's one of, there's some disadvantages to having a large church, but one of the advantages is you always probably have someone in this room you don't know. And so you can practice hospitality by uh, inviting other Christians into your living spaces, all right? Second one is your neighbors. 
Back to that love your neighbor. That means your literal neighbors, but I would also include just your networks. It can be your literal neighbors. And it is very rare this, these days for people to be intimately inviting their physical neighbors into their living space. I am guilty of this. I'm convicted on this one. When I go home, I'm with people a lot. I want that to be my space, my little fortress. I'm not super connected more than, you know, the wave, the sometimes talking, and why was that ambulance at your house? You know, that kind of thing, you know? And so, that, but to really invite him in. So I'm really convicted on this and preaching to me too. So your neighbors, but also your networks, those you work with, are your neighbor. Remember, it's regardless of whether you get along with them or like them. Christians care about them. And Christian hospitality has Christians inviting them into your living space. It's not so light. It does have teeth, doesn't it? It is uncomfortable. It is a call on us. It is a kingdom bringing, world changing move. And then finally, needy people. I know it's not news to you, at least I hope it isn't, especially after we went through Luke, who makes a big priority of it, but all of Scripture elevates the legit needy, right? That Christians, as the light of the world, trying to be the light in the world, we are to have a priority and a bias towards the needy. Again, it's got teeth, doesn't it? That is not our inclination. But that's what Christians do. We have a bias towards the legit needy. So remember back in Luke, Luke 14, we covered this in our last series, but I thought I'd bring it up here because this is all about hosting and, you know, feast eating and sharing your space. And so there's this little story where Jesus was once again invited to, by his host to his house. And he says this, he says, when you, in Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Really? I thought all the blessing comes from, you know, the, the friendship I get in return or the return invitation that I get. Or maybe it's someone in a position of influence that now I know because it's all who you know. You know, maybe they're wealthy and, and I get some, maybe what I get from it is I just want to feel important. And by getting that person to accept my invitation, that's all I need. I feel valuable. I feel important. Maybe I've got cooking skills and I want to show off my cooking skills and, and get that, you know, uh, blessing from that. Maybe my house, I've spent a lot of money and time on my house. That's a spiritual gift of mine, you know, is, is creating this great environment. I want to show it to people, and that's what I get from it. Any of that disqualifies your hospitality as Christian. So it's all about motive. Hospitality is all about motive. We need to be careful that we're not inviting people over or to lunch or to your office or for a ride in your car or going, whatever it is, because you're trying to get something out of that. And the best way to check your motive is to invite people, Jesus says, that there's no chance of it happening. Invite people that there's no chance that you can get any from them, anything from them that you would value. That means people you don't like, you don't need their approval. Maybe they're really different than you. They're, they're, they're poor. They have no, no position, no power. Invite them. That's the only surefire way to be sure your hospitality is Christian. You don't neglect those that have something to offer you. You just are careful 
not to invite them into your space because of it. That's what makes it great. Otherwise, we are in Christian, with a Christian name, the hospitality industry. Getting something from it. We're just like them. So, all right, so that kind of, I hope that kind of gives you an idea of this word and what it means. That, at a minimum, has to be addressed as we see scriptures call for hospitality on us. So the three, I'm going to read the three New Testament uh, verses that mention the word. First one's in Hebrews 13. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by, doing so, by, doing, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I've always emphasized the second part of that. Just, oh man, that's kind of cool. Might be, and it comes from a story in the Old Testament where Abraham was hospitable to these people and ended up being, you know, angels. And that, that's where it comes from. But I want you to look at the first part. So see, yes, it starts with love each other as brothers. That's not neglected, right? And it says, notice, it says, keep on. Why does it say keep on loving each other as brothers? Because, church, in all likelihood, you're already doing this. You're already loving and inviting into your living space those that you love and are in your living space. And so he's saying, yeah, keep doing that. That's important. Your, your Christian friends, your literal family, your literal friends that are already a part of your network and friendship group, yes, keep that Going. That's why it says keep on because you're probably already doing that. Keep it up. Don't stop. But in the next sentence it says make sure you don't forget this. One, one translation of the Bible puts forget there. Neglect is probably right. They're both relevant for us. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's that word. Love for strangers to strangers. It's doubling down on it. Don't forget to show love for strangers to strangers. Don't neglect that. What does that mean? That's what we need to see is embedded in this exhortation that we need to face. The author would not, of Hebrews, would not warn Christians to not neglect hospitality unless there is a tendency to, unless there is an inclination to, unless it's just more convenient to, it's easier to. And that forgetfulness is an awful nice smokescreen for me. I didn't think about it. I'm innocent, right? Because I didn't think about it. He's saying, no, do not forget it. Do not neglect it. We all know the principle of gravity, gravity on the earth and, and the way the earth is spinning. We're all, you know, being pulled towards the center of the earth. And to break it, even if you jump, you're getting pulled right back down into it. If you're going to break the grip of gravity, you need like serious power, like rocket ship power to break the effect of gravity. It takes a lot. Hospitality is like that. It is altogether easier to not practice hospitality to anyone, let alone people I don't know. It's going to be weird for me to engage with them and invite them, welcome them in. So this is important. We tend to neglect it. Then Romans 12, another verse that mentions this word. So Paul is going through a list of kind of touch points that um, qualities that people who've been captured by the gospel now are called to exhibit, okay? And there's a bunch more than the ones I have here, so I'm just starting in verse 12. This would be a good sermon series all on its own, these different lists, but here's a few of them. It says, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, 
practice hospitality. So there you see it again, right after stating the priority of showing love for God's people. Actually, earlier in the list, it says, have brotherly kindness. So, I mean, it's talking about not neglecting each other, but then it adds. I think when I first read this, I, I heard it as share with God's people who are in need by practicing hospitality to each other. That's kind of how I would hear it. But I think that was a convenient smoke screen. That was gravity pulling me down. We know what this word means. It is love for stranger. It's another item in the list. Yes, take care of each other, but take care of the stranger. And so here, the word practice, that's appropriate because it's something you do. It's also something you become. We'll talk about that in the third verse, but it's something you do. It's something you practice. And literally, you probably need to practice. One preacher, though, told me that it would also be appropriate to use this Greek word, because it's used in this way, to put pursue. This Greek word is used for, like, hunting. You know, like hunting food or, or, you know, big game or hunting an enemy that's in retreat. This word would be used. And I thought, that's pretty gripping that it's saying pursue hospitality because the idea there is it's running away. It's trying to move. It's trying to get away from you. So this is something you're going to have to do intentionally. It's probably not what you're already doing. Some of you are. But it's probably not what most of us are already doing. This is something we need to not neglect. Because there's a tendency for us to neglect it. There is something we have to pursue. Because there is a tendency for it to run away from us. This is something we'll forget. Because it's a lot more convenient to forget. And then I feel innocent when I miss it. And I don't even know that, it, that I missed it. So this is literally, I think, though, back to the word practice. I think we need to practice. That's the call this year I want to give you. I want us to practice hospitality till we get good at it. And then one more thing happens, and that's reflected in First Peter. So we've got the Hebrew author, Paul, and now Peter. They're all into this. First Peter 4. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So another clue here to me about the immensity and perhaps the rarity of true Christian hospitality is this little qualifier, without grumbling. So let's say you hear this sermon and you're ready and, okay, I'm convicted. I'm going to, out of obedience, I'm going to walk into whatever discomfort or fear that I have. I'm going to inconvenience myself. The expense, hospitality is expense, has expenses attached to it. The, uh, the inconvenience, hospitality is inconvenient, right? The, the uh, invasion of my time, hospitality costs you time, of course. It's work. And so I'm going to do it. And so you start doing it, but, oh, and over time, you're just, maybe after one time, you're just, oh, that was hard, man. I'm doing this all for God. You know, that's the only redeeming value. No. Peter says do it without that. He says do it and like it. (laughs) Okay, that's what he's saying. Like, how do you white knuckle it to like it? How do you make your, I mean, I can make myself do love for strangers and show love and welcome to people, the actions of love and welcome, I can expect nothing in return, but I have to like it? I mean, that's in Scripture? How am I going to do it? You're not, if you're white-knuckling it. You will 
if you allow the Spirit to come into your efforts and change you to where you like it. Do it long enough and in the name of Christ enough for it to not just grow on you, grow in you. I'm telling you, the, the most hospitable people I've ever met seem to be the happiest people I know. The most joyful. It's amazing. And so there's a lot of periphery work that happens when you commit to doing this. And so um, if you're supposed to love welcoming others, but if you don't, you've got some transforming to do. And the good news is, he wants you to love it more than you want to love it. So you got him behind you. He's going to do that. So what is this? What is Christian hospitality? I'll just, my little synopsis, the definition for today. Uh, loving and welcoming strangers. Again, those are those we don't know. They, they're, they're different than us, particularly the needy who can give us nothing in return the loving of and welcoming of strangers into our living space definitely can include your home, but it does not have to be in your home or limited to your home. It can be in anything that you call your space. My office is my space. If I, I can be hospitable. Uh, Rudy's and Blue Sky are both my places. I know those people. They know me. Tootin' Totem is kind of my space. Anyway, I'm just saying, you, you have spaces, right? Inviting them into your space doesn't have to be your home, so don't restrict yourself if you are self-conscious about that or you're just not in a position to do that. And finally, with no need or expectation of return. So that leads me to what I want to finish with, and that is, why should we do it? Why is hospitality so central to God, to the mission of God? Why do these three biblical authors and others describe it? They just don't use this word, but they all three use the word and call for it. Now, for us as Christians, the Bible tells me so is enough, right? That's enough. The Bible tells me so. I'm just going to do it. But it runs deeper than that. It gets elevated even more than that in Scripture. And so two texts that I want to show you um, why the Bible calls for it in in Christians, for us to practice it and pursue it and not forget or neglect it and to even like it. It's because it's at the very heart of God. So go way back. Remember, we read scripture in terms of story. So go back in the story to Leviticus 19, verse 34, laying down some laws for his people, okay? And he makes reference back to the epic event of the Old Testament, the Exodus, okay? He says this, the stranger must be treated as one of your native born. Now, just pause. That is, a, how many of you love anyone like one of your own kids? I, I don't love anyone like someone native born in my space. None. This is big. This was a huge call. See, it's got teeth. This would be revolutionary if you met someone like that, that loved you like they would their own people. It would tempt you to think you are their people if you were loved like that. Not many of us do that. So the stranger must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You were strangers in Egypt. The reason for you to be hospitable flows deeply from the well of the very heart of God. And it has its roots his heart is expressed in this massive way in the Exodus story, the epic story there. He dramatically asserts 
that the stranger must be welcomed and treated like family because you were a stranger once, without home, on the outside, mistreated, with nothing you could give back to God. And yet God came and rescued you from that and gave you a home. He welcomed you into the home. That's, that's the Jewish story, right? And that's a type and shadow of what's to come in Jesus. So those of us who are Gentiles, it's the vast majority of us, we're like, well, that's great for the Jews. What about us Gentiles? Remember, we read the story. That's Act 3. We move down to Act 5 or 6 in Ephesians 2, and he talks specifically to the Gentiles, referring to the same heart of God. It says, remember that at that time in Ephesians, you were separate. Look at these words. You were separate from Christ alienated from citizenship in Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. See, Christians welcome the separate, the alienated, the alien, the stranger, because in them we see ourselves Clearly, we know what it feels like to not belong. We know that that's in our story and in our history. Many of you have lived privileged enough lives that it's harder for you to connect with this than others, but all of us can connect with it. All of us know what it is. And so we are rehearsing, we're reenacting. The story of the Exodus, the story of the cross. We're reenacting the gospel. That's how important hospitality is. We are reenacting it, the whole story of God, once again. Let me just uh, finish up here. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room. Hospitality, church, and we're gonna be, there's a lot more to say, and we're going to say it in the next three weeks. Hospitality is welcoming people into your space treating and loving and welcoming welcoming them like family so that maybe, maybe they become friends. Friends of yours, but even more important, friends of God. Because you're literally acting out the gospel. Without mentioning it at all, you are preaching the gospel to the world. That's what we're after. So it's just... I'm not being very practical. Just a few practical ideas that I want to mention to you as you leave. Uh, take, take each other home with you after church. I mean, how many of you are out of the practice of that? Just start doing that. And maybe don't be picky about who it is, right? Maybe actually prioritize who it is. Someone you don't know. You know that's Christian hospitality, right? Maybe you, um, you join a small group. And it doesn't have to be in your house for you to be hospitable when you go. You know, you don't have to end up connecting with and being with that group for the next year to be hospitable. Just go and welcome some people into your life. Greet people when you're here, right? Right now, it's very comfortable. You don't have to know the people around you and it doesn't feel uncomfortable at all. But if you are a stranger here, if you are new here and you walk out of here, it would be nice for someone, for some of you, this is home, right? You're very comfortable here. For others of you, it's just recently become home, but you're still, it's more home to you than someone else. And so just greet people here. 
And so we'll talk about different practical ways in the weeks to come, but I just wanted to mention all that and remind you, connected to the reason hospitality is so important is it's connected right to what we celebrated with that bread and that cup. It's the gospel message. God gives us, and he sent Jesus all the way from heaven to us in order to take our alienation away and bring us home. Let's stand and let's sing to this God our Father who's given us this home. And if we can help you in any way, please come.